Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I am your anchor in the realm of the mystic isles from which our fool hails. Uh, I didn't, I didn't um, practice that one. And we are diving back into fortune and flora with an exploration of the minor arcana, starting with the four suits of the tarot. I'm also going to give you some historic background for the tarot in general, as I realized I never really did that at the start of our journey. Uh, and then I'll be leaving you with a fun assignment or practice for getting more in touch with the energies of each suit. But first, uh, I hope you all had a transformative new moon in Capricorn last Thursday, and we're looking forward to a full moon in Pisces next Thursday, the 25th at 1254 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to be exact. The cold moon, also referred to as the wolf moon, the oak moon, and sometimes the long night moon, brings about thoughts of the future year as the sun's strength and the length of the days slowly start to grow. Wolves are fearsome protectors, and practitioners might be drawn towards protection magic at this time. Uh, it also is a full moon in watery Pisces, which can bring the focus to dreaming and dream work, as well as intuition or psychic strengthening, as well as nostalgia and strong emotions, making this a great time for both divination as well as philanthropic efforts. Falling on a Thursday brings in the energy of Jupiter and themes of expansion, prosperity, and generosity. There's a lot to focus on here, and I haven't even scratched the surface of other astrological transits taking place. But I get the feeling of wanting to strengthen and fortify myself physically, and spiritually, as well as emotionally, and practically in the areas of home protection and household prosperity. This could mean brushing up on the basics or picking up where I left off on in my practice or my studies. And it also feels like, well, I guess the right time for this is all the time, but I feel called towards generosity in the areas of charity as well as activism. Because activism, no matter how passionate is really driven by a sense of community and generosity. Uh, and here I can work towards protection, prosperity, emotional well-being, and generosity in a way that doesn't only benefit myself. Uh, these are just some thoughts on next week's full moon as it approaches. Uh, I'd love to hear what you are feeling called towards. You can find me on Instagram or threads at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony or on Facebook at a is for agrimony. You can also reach me at reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com or you can join my community over at patreon.com slash a is for agrimony. I'd love to hear from you. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about the four suits of the tarot, the tools for transformation and the tools that the magician gave the fool at the start of their journey through the major arcana. In the standard 78-card deck, there are 56 minor arcana cards, which are divided into four suits, best known by the names cups, wands, swords, and pentacles. In traditional tarot, each of these suits represents one of the four natural elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Cups symbolize water, wands are associated with fire, 
swords represent air, and the pentacles, earth. These meanings extend to the inner self as well as the outer world, with cups focused on the emotions of the heart, wands, the belief of the soul, swords, the realm of the rational mind, and pentacles, the body, senses, and material world. That is from the Library of Esoterica's Tarot. Now, the tarot deck consists of these four suits with its own set of symbols and meanings, and these suits are commonly referred to as the Minor Arcana. Let's do a brief overview of each suit, and as I go through, I'm going to read some quick excerpts from What the Fuck is Tarot and How Do I Do It by Bakara Wintner. Love that. Hear that page? Page turn. Okay, the four suits of the Minor Arcana comprise the majority of the cards in the tarot deck, but do not carry the same heavy-hitting lessons or staying power as the majors. They are the details of life, the specific circumstances, the passing moments, and fleeting situations. While these cards do not possess the same profundity as their major counterpart, they are not trivial. They are the realities of living, the daily endeavor of being human. If the major arcana are the vital organs, then the minor arcana are the circulatory system that carries blood and oxygen throughout the body. That is from What the Fuck is Tarot and How Do I Do It by Bakara Wintner. Let's start off with the wands. Wands represent action, passion, creativity, sexuality, and movement in the world. They are the youngest suit of the tarot, and this youthful energy permeates the trajectory of the wands. From new creative endeavors to exciting partnerships to fiery conflicts to overwhelming ourselves with taking on too much, the wands carry us through the path of fire. So wands are ruled by the element of fire. And as such, they also rule over the zodiac signs Leo, Sagittarius, and Aries, all fire signs. It represents action, energy, inspiration, spirituality, motivation, and passion, and spiritual pursuits. Wands symbolize most commonly creativity, passion, ambition, and enterprise. And since they are associated with the element of fire, they represent that energy of inspiration, energy, and action, and are linked to creativity, spirituality, and enterprise. Wands are often seen as cards that indicate growth, ambition, willpower, and the pursuit of goals. It is the suit of desire, dreams, and manifestation, as well as primal energy and sexuality. It is also the suit of ego, but may also represent spiritual journeys and the power of transformation. Also referred to as rods or staffs, in various tarot decks, the wands have been portrayed in many different ways including branches with growing leaves on them, magic wands, walking sticks or staffs, flaming torches, and even matchsticks. And compared to a deck of traditional playing cards, the wands correspond with the suit of clubs. Okay, let's move on to cups. The suit of cups embodies emotions, love, healing, fulfillment, and romance. And the journey of the suit encompasses the experiences of our emotional landscape. Spanning from the enjoyable, new romance, strong friendships, community, nostalgia, to the profound birth, grief, loss, and healing, to the challenging trauma, selfishness, uncertainty, and deceit, 
The cups ask us to go inside and take stock. They are an invitation to know ourselves better and consequently connect more authentically with others. So cups is ruled by the element of water and as such also rules over the zodiac signs Pisces, Cancer, and Scorpio. It represents emotions, feelings, relationships, intuition, creativity, artistic endeavors, and spirituality, symbolizing love, feelings, connections, and dreams. Being associated with water, which also represents emotions, intuition, and relationships, the cups can symbolize the ebb and flow of feelings and the interconnectedness of emotions, and they explore the complexities of the heart. Intuition and our ability to nurture reside here. So the cups often relate to matters of the heart, love, and relationships. And as we know, that all can signify emotional experiences, creativity, and spiritual connectedness. They may also be referred to as chalices, goblets, or even cauldrons. And tarot decks throughout the ages have depicted them in many different ways. As lotus flowers, as shown in the star tarot or even pictures as seen in the hardy tarot. And when you compare your tarot deck to a traditional deck of playing cards, the cups represent the hearts. So very appropriate. Okay, moving on to swords. Swords are thoughts, fears, intellect, conflict, and the analytical mind. This is where I adopt a dramatic, deep voice and say something like, the mind is a powerful and terrible thing, or something equally trite. Like a weapon, the sharpness of our minds can cut through the old and superfluous and that which no longer serves. It can also cause harm to ourselves and others if used improperly or with malice. The journey of swords is fraught with difficulty and blockages, with mental statements, betrayal, naivete, and self-harm all lurking within this tricky suit. However, the swords also provide lovely experiences such as moments of clarity or a long-awaited new idea. So swords are ruled by air, and as such, rules over the zodiac signs Aquarius, Libra, and Gemini. They represent intellect, thoughts, decisions, communication, words, actions, and also conflicts, symbolizing mental clarity, decision-making, challenges, and power. Being linked to air, which also represents intellect, thoughts, and communication, the swords will symbolize mental clarity, challenges, and the power of the mind. Swords can often indicate issues related to decision-making, conflicts, and communication, again, <laughs> And they may represent the need for clarity or the resolution of challenges through mental strength. They're also considered the suit of higher consciousness, as well as focused power and decisiveness. Like the winds of change, swords are aligned with powerful strength and action that brings about change. Swords have also been referred to as daggers, athames, and even spikes, and artistic depictions in tarot run the gamut from traditional swords to sewing needles. And when we compare this suit to the traditional playing cards, swords will represent spades. And finally, we have pentacles. Pentacles are the oldest suit in the tarot and thereby possess a stability earned through traveling through the first three suits of the tarot. They deal with the physical, 
work, money, health, and home, financial uncertainty and financial abundance, new ventures and work, building a family, long-term investment, and perfecting a craft or trade are all aspects of life addressed in the pentacles. So pentacles are ruled by earth and as such rules over the zodiac signs Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. It represents material aspects and possessions, finances, career and work, practicality and material well-being, symbolizing wealth, prosperity, security, and manifestation. Pentacles being associated with Earth, which also represents material aspects, finances, and practicality, can symbolize wealth, prosperity, and tangible manifestations of your energy. Being the suit of material possessions, as well as physical health, pentacles often relate to matters of finance, career, and again, material well-being, and they may signify abundance, stability, and the importance of practical considerations. These include the need for grounding, home, hearth, and even family. And since this suit is so closely tied to material needs and desires, it can also warn us of occasional greed. The suit of pentacles is also referred to as coins, as well as discs, and has been depicted in various tarot decks as such, as well as medallions, pentagrams or stars, and even flowers. And when we compare this suit to traditional playing cards, they would represent the diamonds. They all are, are very consistent when you compare them to a traditional playing card deck. And that's because that is where tarot originated, or at least that was the original inspiration for tarot. So each suit consists of numbered cards, ace through ten, and four court cards, the page, the knight, the queen, and the king, also sometimes the princess, the prince, the queen, and the king. I'm sure I'm missing a few other variations. The cards in each suit depict various scenarios and situations related to a theme in the suit, and many tarot readers will choose a court card in a suit that resonates with them the most, typically a queen or a king, for their status of having mastered the themes of each suit to some degree, or perhaps they might select a page, a knight, a queen, or a king, based on how this level of mastery is infused again with the energy of earth, fire, water, and air. As in each suit, the court cards are said to take on the qualities of their respective suit, you know, cups, swords, wands, or pentacles, as well as an additional element, earth for the page, fire for the knight, water for the queen, and air for the king. So if you're looking at your court cards, say, for example, the king of swords, the king being a king is ruled by air, but is also the king of the swords, which is ruled by air. This is a person that is going to be super decisive. Say you take the queen of wands. Now being a queen, she is ruled by water, but also she is the queen of wands, which has her being ruled by fire. So you can think in terms of the combination of water and fire. Uh, it's one way to help you get a more close idea of how the court cards function. So the four suits also feature pip cards numbered from ace to ten, which represent the seed or the beginning of each theme for each suit at the ace, 
and end with a level of mastery or understanding of the themes in each suit, even if that mastery or understanding is achieved in a state of defeat or surrender, as we see with the Ten of Swords. The origin of the four suits in tarot can be traced back to medieval Europe, as it is believed that the tarot deck itself originated in Italy during the 15th century. The four suits, wands, cups, swords, and pentacles were likely inspired by playing cards from various regions where different symbols and suits were used. There isn't a specific individual credited with coming up with the four suits in tarot. Instead, the development of the tarot deck was a gradual process influenced by cultural, artistic, and symbolic elements of the time. The suits and their associated symbols have deep roots in European history and esoteric traditions. And it's worth noting that the tarot has evolved over centuries, and different decks may have variations in the suits, symbols, and interpretations. And it's also widely agreed that the first recorded tarot cards appeared in northern Italy in the 15th century, as I said before. And these early tarot decks, known as the Visconti Sforza decks, were created for noble families and featured elaborate hand-painted cards. It was actually a sign of prosperity and abundance to have your own tarot deck. Now, the Renaissance era saw a surge in interest in mysticism, esotericism, and symbolism, and tarot cards, as a result, began to take on additional layers of meaning beyond their use in gaming. The Italian tarot decks of the time included allegorical imagery and esoteric symbolism. Later on, in the 19th and early 20th centuries, the tarot experienced a revival with the rise of occultism. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is an influential occult society of the time, played a key role in assigning esoteric meanings to tarot cards, and members such as A.E. Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith created the Rider Waite Tarot Deck in 1909, which became one of the most popular and widely used decks. But the tarot itself has had influence by many scholarly, esoteric, and occult figures going back much farther than, and also beyond, Waite and Smith. And these individuals include Antoine Court de Gebelin. I apologize if that pronunciation was atrocious. He was an author and Freemason who explored the intersection between religion and the occult, and may have been among the first to suggest that tarot could be used as a divinatory tool in the 1700s. Eliphas Levi, a French occultist and highly influential esoteric figure in the 1800s, who helped spread and celebrate the notion of self-determined destiny, and also inspired many future developers of tarot decks, including A.E. Waite and Alistair Crowley, the creator of the Thoth deck. Oswald Mirth, a Swiss occultist who created the deck Arcanus du Tarot Kabbalistique in 1889, which consisted of solely 22 major arcana cards rich with Kabbalistic and Christian influences. Gerard Incos, who went by the name Papus, meaning physician, uh, a term taken from the writings of Eliphas Levi, who wrote numerous books dedicated to the study of tarot in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, one of which is titled Tarot of the Bohemians, which infuses astrology, alchemy, numerology, and sacred geometry, and believed that through this work and that of others who came before him, tarot achieved a synthesis of 
all of the ancient teachings and systems of symbolism. And finally, we reach the 19th century. We see influences and amazing decks created by individuals like C.C. Zane, uh, author of over 50 books on the occult, tarot, and herbalism, and the developer of the sacred tarot, which was illustrated in the Egyptian style. Egyptian hieroglyphics had also influenced the works of Valcourt, Vermont, or Comte de Saint-Germain, which include practical astrology, a simple method of casting horoscopes, one of the first American books containing tarot imagery in 1901, and very likely a major inspiration for C.C. Zane. And as we move forward in time, we see the influences of Pamela Coleman Smith, A.E. Waite, and the Order of the Golden Dawn, which was founded by Freemasons Samuel Liddell Mathers, William Robert Woodman, and William Wynne Westcott, and to which Pamela Coleman Smith was admitted. Smith, the original illustrator of the writer Waite Smith deck of tarot, studied art at the Pratt Institute of New York City and became one of the first women to graduate from college. While working as an illustrator in London, she was commissioned to create art for several members of the Order of the Golden Dawn, Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, being among them. She officially joined the organization in 1901. Now, wait, who was the writer and scholar of Kabbalah, mysticism, and ceremonial magic, became enthralled with the symbolism of the tarot as a member of the Order of the Golden Dawn and decided to create a deck based on his own studies. In the order, he was introduced to Coleman Smith and quickly thereafter commissioned her to create 78 original drawings for a new deck. This deck, unlike many that preceded it, was intended to be used solely as a divinatory tool, drawing on all of A.E. Waite's studies of different systems of symbolism and infused with Coleman Smith's own artistic vision. Smith completed the work in a mere six months, and it was published in 1909 by William Ryder and Son of England. An elaborate guidebook titled The Pictorial Key of the Tarot followed in 1911. Now, Smith's illustrations drew from Art Deco influences, uh, her and Waits shared interest in Greek and Roman myths, Arthurian legend, classic theater, and the mysticism of the time. But the most incredible aspects of her illustrations could be the decisive choice to include every single element based on meaning and symbolism alone, up to and including color choices. Absolutely every detail was added intentionally and with meaning. And this is one of the reasons why the deck has been one of the biggest influences on the modern concepts of tarot, even 115 years later. The development of the tarot doesn't stop here, and in fact, the creation of the Foth deck, which came later on, came about in much the same way, as Aleister Crowley, a member of the Golden Dawn at the time, sought to create an updated deck based on his own studies and was introduced to an illustrator by the name of Lady Frida Harris with whom he worked on the deck for five years after being introduced in 1937. But obviously I wanted to place more emphasis on the development of the Waite-Smith deck, as that is a system that I have been basing all of Fortune and Flora on. But as I've said, no one individual has been credited with the creation of the four suits of tarot, which are attributed to the broader tradition of playing card decks that predate the tarot's development. 
as you explore the suits of tarot and how their their own elemental symbolism influences each of their respective cards, you may start to resonate with one or some of the suits or cards more than others. You will likely start to understand how the minor arcana cards seem to relate to everyday situations, challenges, or outlooks, while the major arcana holds within it much broader themes that relate to the spiritual development and enlightenment. And you may start to notice that the court cards carry specific personality traits within them that we can use to identify others or to identify aspects of ourselves. For example, I often idolize the Queen of Swords in her wisdom and directness, while knowing that I most often share characteristics with the Knight of Pentacles or the Page of Wands, all the while knowing that I need to work on getting more in touch with my inner King of Cups. And this is a great way to get more in touch with the individual suits as you explore tarot further. So here is some homework if you want it. I have two steps to help you get more acquainted with the suits. One, so based on what I've gone over regarding the elemental rulers of each suit and the themes and symbolism associated with each, decide which suits resonate with your own personality the most. Are you fiery, passionate, and creative? Are you intuitive, emotional, and nurturing? Are you logical, decisive, and assertive? Or are you extremely grounded and concerned with practical matters and the physical realm? You could be more than one or all of these things. Which is the most prominent? Maybe you're a little, you're a little bit cups and a whole lot of wands, or perhaps you're mostly pentacles and cups but need to get more in touch with your inner swords. Try this with friends and family members. Also, if it helps you get more closely, it helps you more closely identify the elements and themes of each suit. Okay, part two is to take each suit out of your deck and focus on the themes and symbolism that they represent before you go to sleep with that suit under your pillow. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog tap dancing upstairs. She's just putting on a show. What are you going to do? Now, knowing that your mind will wander wherever it will before you nod off to sleep, try to make your last intentional thoughts be that of the specific suit you are working with before sleep. And repeat this for each suit, allowing your mind and spirit to more deeply connect with each suit as you work with them. And you may have already done this with your entire deck or individual cards. I love this practice as a way of gaining a closer connection with different aspects of the tarot. Okay, and that is all that I have for you today. Next time we visit Fortune and Flora, we are going to dive straight into the miners. Please be well and have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you're listening. If you'd like some more content, please go to aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, the living grimoire, and soon to come, the coven shop you can follow me on instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony that's an underscore in between each word over on threads under the same exact handle or you can like my facebook page at facebook.com slash a is for agrimony 
Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at aisforagrimony.com. And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join the community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, occasional bonus content, and more to come. Again, thank you for listening, be well, and have an amazing weekend. <laughs>